0: Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Motormouth podcast. My name's Harry Benjamin and part of our tie-up with the Brain Tumor Charity is that we'll be doing a few of these spin-off shows with a wide range of people from the motoring world who all, unfortunately, share one other thing apart from a love for motorsport and that is that they've all been affected by a brain tumour in some way. In this first episode, you're going to hear from... Well, me, sorry about that, Uh, but we felt for this first show, it would only be right for me to share a little bit of my story and why Motormouth is partnering with the Brain Tumour Charity. So I'll hand over to my excellent co-host, Tim, who'll take it from
1: here. As many of you will already know, we've set up a partnership with the Brain Tumour Charity and they're now our official charity partner. And there's one major reason why we've chosen to partner with them, which I'll come on to shortly, but first some background and some context. Brain tumours are the biggest cancer killer of children and adults under 40 years old. Over 11,700 people are diagnosed each year with a primary brain tumour, including 500 children and young people. That's 32 people every single day. Over 5,000 people lose their lives to a brain tumour each year, and just 19% of adults survive for five years after their diagnosis. Research offers the only real hope of dramatic improvement in the management and treatment of brain tumours. Over £500 million is spent on cancer research in the UK every year, yet less than 3% is spent on brain tumours the brain tumor charity is trying to change all this the uk-based cause is dedicated to the funding research and awareness of brain tumors aiming to reduce diagnosis times and provide support and information to people and families being affected it's an amazing cause and the likes of olympian diver tom daly the brilliant band the charlatans and former former england rugby internationals lewis moody and johnny wilkinson are just a few of the high profile supporters And there are many ways that you can get involved with the charity, so please, please visit their social media channels and their website to find out more, and we'll put links to those in our podcast description. Our partnership will see us team up with them to raise funds and awareness through some of our own events and content. We've recently announced a celebrity karting event later this year, which you can register interest at by heading to motormouthkartrace.com, and we'll be auctioning off some amazing items on the day, All given to us by the celebrities, they're going to be there. All proceeds are going to go to the charity, and we've got some former F1 drivers joining us to help get the word out. We've got an esports event coming up, our own Sim Racing Championship, and with Brain Tumor Charity are also going to be across that. And we'll be running not only this podcast episode, but a number of shows with people from the world of motorsport who have been affected by brain tumors. But what was the catalyst for teaming up? Well, Harry Benjamin, my co-host on the Motormouth Mouth podcast, has his own story. In 2018, he lost his mum, Ginny, who was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. This is his and her story, and is the reason why we feel so passionate about raising awareness through our platform and our audience. Harry... Thanks for opening up about this. It's something we've actually never really spoken about much. Well, it's not really everyday <laughs> combo, is it? Uh- <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not what you sort of talk about over a cup of tea. But take us back to your early years, first of all, and, and your relationship with your mum. What, what was she like?
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I struggle because I mean, I'm 23 now. I was 21 when my mum passed away. So the early years are, are quite difficult to really remember that in that much um, detail but you know I was the youngest of I am the youngest of four um we're all boys and tallest? tallest yeah generally just the tallest and the biggest in general really um, youngest of four by quite some margin as well uh, so I think my next brother is seven years older than me so um i although i i'm i thought i was a mistake for a very for a lot for a long time uh, i think actually it was a, la- a last attempt to try and have a girl um so unfortunately <laughs> that didn't quite work out um although i did do a lot of drama so that that uh hopefully made up for it but yeah so i mean i was always the youngest the baby so most spoiled uh for sure um and uh actually for a lot of the time it was actually just almost like a bit like an only child although I've got a massive family because they my brother's so much older than me for a lot of its childhood and uh it was just me and mum and and the dog because dad would be out working every day probably you know long hours he's a surgeon so he'd be he'd be working late or early or whatever it was and then my brothers would be at university um for the majority of the time or they'd be you know out and about somewhere else or or at school sixth form so yeah I mean pretty normal typical childhood um so you know nothing nothing to really shout about you know you have your ups and downs like every every parent child does you know screaming fits and all that kind of stuff but uh, apart from that it was you know I was very lucky really I had a very very supportive parents and a a very you know I'm very blessed to have a very um a very nice childhood and a nice life and
1: Ginny was diagnosed your mum in 2017 and you mentioned your dad is a surgeon Mm. and your mum was experiencing some headaches and he was the first one that that picked up on that, that it may be something more. So... Tell us a little bit about how that process happened, and, and I guess your story from there on.
0: Yeah, so I think rather ironically, my dad is a brain surgeon. So if anyone's going to spot the signs, it's probably going to be him. Um, and and if I'm brutally honest, I don't know the full the full length of it because at the time I was blissfully naive, really, and I wasn't around. I just started university, so I was off. Um, and from you know from what what's been told to me since is uh, you know my mum had some headaches and. and uh, they were on holiday in, in Florida at the time because that's where my aunt lives. Um, and uh my aunt remember has told me since that you know she would keep reaching for the aspirin because she's had these long headaches that just wouldn't go anywhere. Uh I wouldn't go away even. Um, and uh and, and that's that is typically a sign, but a lot of people don't don't really see it and until it's too late until you know you start having seizures or anything like that where it's a, where it's a bit bigger um but because uh this was a regular occurrence my dad immediately i think you know um decided that she should go and to to the hospital and have a have a check and uh and that's that's where they they found it and found that it was um a a malignant um glioblastoma stage four which is I, I mean, I look back at that, and, th- and I I didn't understand it at the time, and I think knew it was bad, but my dad had had cancer before and gotten went through chemotherapy and um, and recovered. So me being blissfully unaware and not wanting to ask too many questions for fear of what they might reveal, probably because um, I was what nineteen at the time, I think. Um, so I just assumed that yeah, okay, this is really bad, but you know that's brain surgeon and mum yeah. used to be a nurse they they're handling this pr- pretty well um and she, you know she'll have surgery she'll have chemotherapy and, and and that'll be that and we'll have to keep an eye on it but you know uh, that that'll that'll be how it goes and i didn't i don't think i really quite understood the um the veracity of what it was i certainly didn't think it was terminal at the time i didn't didn't know that and it and it wasn't explicitly said but maybe or maybe it was uh, and i just sort of blanked it out but there's a lot of blank patches in my mind for the last four years because you know naturally as you'd expect it's just all a bit surreal um so but i carried on at university um Actually, no, that's a lie. I think I dropped out by then because at the time I started this American studies degree and uh I dropped out because I it. You
1: did for, The one you did for a month. Well yeah.
0: That one. I hated it. Yeah, I was yeah. terrible at it. And I, you know, I hate reading and I hate writing long essays. So it was just a stupid decision to make. Um so right. I dropped out of that. And then while I was at so I was at home at the time when when the calls and when when the diagnosis happened. So that was kind of nice in a way. And and to begin with, you know, my mum was 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 pretty you know a very very strong woman you would not know that um she had this uh disease at all um and uh started doing chemotherapy and, and eventually you know lost her hair and and the the first surgery went went well because obviously when any kind of brain surgery is risky um and they got they got most of it out and uh and then you have the chemotherapy and then that first year actually was, was okay, to be honest. And and although, you know, that I had some pretty down moments, I, because I wasn't at university, I was sort of, do, I was working and, and I, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go to uh, places like Monaco and Paris and Berlin. I was working in Formula E at the time and, and I was sort of saying, oh, should I go, you know, do you, I should probably be at home, you know, and my mum was very much, no, go, because you, you might not get the chance to do this again. Don't worry about me. Go, enjoy it. Have fun. <laughs> um, stoic. Yeah, so I did. Um, and I'm so glad I did. And, and nothing during that time, you know, nothing really bad happened at that at that point, you know. Uh, and the first year was relatively good. And then I started university and that, that's when it kind of um, got worse because although – I think it's quite regular for a glioblastoma if you have it uh, is that you can depending on where it is you, you can get it out most of it out with with the surgery difficult to get all of it out but you most of it and and then you have the chemotherapy and then and then you sort of okay but with a glioblastoma it always comes back and I wasn't aware of that and and lo and behold it did and then you have another surgery and it was after the second surgery that things really kind of took a took a, a visible noticeable turn you know my mum my was you know after two brain surgeries was was a, a slightly different person mm. not completely but um that you you quickly worked out that that was that is one of the results of this kind of disease is that it does change the person on a personality wise as well you know that mm. uh, i think it probably varies for everybody but over time slowly started to get more and more just less less vocal and, and less you know um I don't know what the right word is but you know just just becoming less and less of who my mum was before um which is you know what else do you expect after two brain surgeries and then you start you know start having radiotherapy as well and then and then it just started going more and more down that route and I was at university in Norwich and at home was London Essex and that's about a two-hour drive so I would be at uni Monday to Friday, most days, but I would leave. I'd come back home pretty much every Friday as early as I could, and I'd I would, I'd leave Monday morning to go back to university, pretty much every week, um, which was quite difficult to. To, uh, although the track that is not, you know, I'm used to longer, longer commutes than that. But, um, like doing that every week and then having that intensity of what you're going home to and what you're leaving yeah. and not knowing what's going to happen, then you know, in the four days you're away, um, that was difficult. And also, you know, doing a first year of university, first year of university should be, you know, you're going out, getting drunk, and yeah. and and doing all all things you shouldn't. So that was, and so that was tough. Um, but I did it because that's what you do. Um, and uh, and then, and that's sort of how how it went on for a bit, and there was a bit of a sort of a a, a stalemate period where there was there wasn't that much change. So, so yeah, that was the the, the first kind of the uh, I don't know the early stage the, or the first half of it really. And then eventually it it got worse and worse. And then I remember getting there's there's some stuff that happened before this, I'm sure. But then it got to a point where um, I had just started. I think I just started second year, I think, and I was at a, a bar meet or whatever at university meeting the first years and then um, hanging out with my mates as well. And I got a call from my dad, which basically said um, uh, that, you know, we, we've had the last kind of um, bit of therapy, that there's not really a lot more that can be done. Uh, that's a pretty crushing phone call, uh, mm. let alone oh God, to help my dad for having to make that phone call, not just to me, but three more times on top of that as well. I yeah. if, uh, nothing. He, he, I mean, he, he it took my mum was strong, but he was he was incredibly strong, and he knew obviously from the beginning what the outcome would be. When you got that phone call, and I'm only asking this yeah. because there's there might be people who are who are listening
1: who are going through a similar thing or have been through a similar thing, and, and it's useful for them to hear it from, from um, other people that have been through this kind of thing. When you got that phone call, how did you deal with it? You were obviously, I guess, either consciously or subconsciously expecting that phone call at some point. Yeah. Were you prepared for it? Did, how, how did you take it emotionally?
0: Mm. It comes in waves that's that's i had that said to me so many times but it's very true um and i was completely expecting a phone call at any any time my phone went off text phone call whatever it was i my heart just went into my mouth mm. and especially if it was my dad phoning i just thought oh my here we go um and um uh and and when it happened i remember exactly where i was i was outside the student union shop um on my own because my dad had called so I ran away from everybody else and you just go you I mean I I didn't break down in in floods of tears and that kind of thing but I think you did what I probably maybe what a lot of men do in particular you sort of go or especially it's definitely a Benjamin trait is you don't really show too much emotion but you try and find a pragmatic way of you know you you discuss all the possible uh you know oh that can't be it there's got to be something else come on um but there wasn't, and I knew that. And I just said, "Well, I'll, I'll, I'm coming home then. I'll, I'll, I'll come home tonight." Um, so I I packed up my stuff and and, and I let you. I didn't say bye to anybody. I just ran ran back to my uni accommodation and, and packed up and and drove home that same night just so I could be at home because although you know the, 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 it, it, there was no more that could be done, but she was still fighting it, so to speak. So yeah. there was there yeah. was still time on our hands. So okay. I just thought I need to be at home as much as possible. And when you got home, what happened then? Did you
1: did you have conversations with your mum about what happens next? I mean, was she
0: aware of the situation? I mean, she knew from the beginning what what the situation was. Um and it was difficult. We never really had an explicit conversation about about what what the what the outcome of this would be apart from, I think we, we, we said it, I think she may have said it one, one time to me. Uh, and it was just, it was I think at the time, you know, part of one of the, um, the outcomes after the surgeries was that she got a lot more blunt. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and there was a time where she's just basically said to me, you know, you know what this means, you know, there's nothing after this. And I was sort of a bit taken aback by that, and uh, and then we, and then I walked her down to the shops, and we went around the post office looking for a card. Um, and I was struggling to keep keep the tears from my eyes, whilst sort of because my mum was struggling to walk at that point, so I, you know, yeah. um, I, I, so sort of had to help her. Um, and when I got home, um, I th- I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure towards that the the, the final bit, you know. Um, she was basically in bed the whole time you know she couldn't really walk and and then you have the palliative care and that's a really tough thing mm. to to watch and see um mm-hmm. and and just being basically you know in it, in bed helping her eat that kind of thing that 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 was the the tough the toughest moments and 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 not one you know we try to remember too much because you know that wasn't my mum really you know she couldn't could talk um or wasn't really talking that much and uh, you know on medication high on medication and and basically sleeping a lot of the time so and then when you see the palliative nurses come that's that's tough and when when the doctor comes for the last time and oh it's just not it's, it's no there's no easy way to deal with it there just isn't you just sit there and try not to cry um uh, and you you know so many times uh, so angry and and so upset and you don't know what to do and nobody really understands um so it's very difficult to talk to friends about because also you don't really want to impose this kind of thing because it's not you know it's a heavy heavy thing Um, but also people don't have to talk about it as mates really unless you've
1: got those really exceptional friends who may have Have been through it, or just have incredible empathy. People don't know what to say, do they? I mean, I I can't remember what program I was watching the other day, and they said um, it was someone about saying about um, they were lying about an illness um, because they didn't want to open up about something, so they they lied about um, having cancer because they knew that word shut everyone up nobody knows how to deal with it as Mm -hmm. soon as you say that word forget Mm -hmm. it you know everyone just goes insular
0: yeah i mean and and a lot of my especially my uni mates you know i was a little bit older when i started uni so they were most of them were a couple of years younger and you know uh, they didn't a lot of them hadn't ever had to deal with this kind of thing before and and i was certainly aware of that so i i was sort of almost I, i sort of Censoring myself and, and not wanting to, um, uh, you know, talk about it to you. Even though I did want to talk about it, I just knew that you're, you, you are, you're not the right people to talk about it with, unfortunately. Um, and, and you know, it still, you know, it still is that way, you know. And I did therapy and all that kind of stuff, but it, 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 you know, it's it's just difficult to continuously talk about the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah uh and, and you know time time is a healer although you know I don't, I don't think you ever get over something like this you just sort of learn to live with it um mm. but you know there were some really uh, nice times towards the end as well like there's this one time i remember a, a lot of the stress and the pressure of it all came about through my brother was getting married um and the original plan was for the marriage to be the wedding the whole thing to be in spain in mallorca and because of this, we weren't sure on timeline. So we did, they decided to do two weddings, one in the UK and one in Mallorca. And, um, but it got to a point where my mum could make it out to Mallorca somehow, some insurance, God let that happen. And it was so good, but also so terrible because my mum was having regular seizures and couldn't barely walk. And when you watch your mum have a seizure, it was just, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Uh, and I, it, 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 it was just so difficult and for the majority of the time. Well, you know, we were she was in the hospital in Spain, and you know, you don't want to be in hospital anywhere, let alone in a foreign country. Um, so uh, that was difficult. But obviously, you had the, the the high of of my brother and and his, you know, and Marie, who who is now my sister in law. You know, she'd been part of the family for ten years. You know, my mum was just as much her mum as as any of mm-hmm. us. So you know, she it was so emotional for everybody. But there was a very funny moment where she was in the hospital. And, um, my dad, uh, we were me, my dad and my brother, one of my brothers called Jack were there. And, uh, cause only a few people could, could visit at a time. And, uh, my, uh, dad got her up. She was lying down, got her up. So she was sat on the edge of the bed and, uh, because, you know, cause he's a doctor, he was sort of testing her, her mobility. And, uh, he, he was holding both her hands and then he let, he was like, I'm going to let, let go now. I just want to see if you can hold yourself up. And, uh, he let go, and then there was a bit of a pause, and my mum just, just suddenly sort of slipped on her side. Me and my brother's hearts both go in our mouths, and then she smiles, and then gets back up again. Because, and and she had completely just done that to to make us have a heart attack, basically. So she had she still had that mobility; wasn't like she couldn't hold herself up again. I just thought, God, what a bloody sense of humour um, to have that, you know? And she still ha- she had that very much all the way all the way through. Um, you know, even when she had changed from the person she initially was, she still, you know, she, there was still a part of that there, which was, which was obviously we clung on to a lot, but, but yeah, it was difficult. And, and, you know, there, there was a, t- there was a time where I think it was the time where I, I sort of left university for a bit or, or actually I think it, it just coincided. And I thought this is, this is perfect luck. If I was going to have any at this stage, I, I, I got a phone call from absolute radio And a really nice guy called Dave Masterson, who doesn't work anymore, but he called me and basically said, Harry, we've had a mayor, and we need you to uh, help us out on the breakfast show for a couple of weeks. Are you okay to do that? And I thought, well, he was like, we'll pay you. It's the breakfast show. You know, it was to be basically an assistant producer. Didn't know how to do it. And I just said, yeah, okay, sure. So binned off uni. And I thought this is great because the hours are 5am till midday. Uh, and it's two weeks and i can bin off uni and be at home for the majority of the time and still kind of do this cool job and uh and, and that was so that was a kind of blessing in disguise really um to be able so I'd, I'd finish at midday and then i'd spend most of the day back home helping helping my dad out with my mom or, or if he was away you know yeah. just kind of alleviating pressure on whoever else was was helping um yeah. so 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 many weird good things were happening but this whole thing it was also it was such a, yeah. it was a very difficult thing to balance let alone explain to to your mates and anybody else
1: yeah very conflicting
0: time mm. and,
1: and when the cool well when the moment finally comes i guess there are a whole mixture of emotions um, you know that range from complete and utter sadness through to perhaps even some relief and how did it how did you feel come the end of it all
0: yeah it just kind of it just happened. I mean, there was a slow build up, and and uh, you know there was a if you're ever if people you know some people listen to this I wouldn't normally speak about this, but there's a, a thing that happens. what You know, it's it's called it's called a rattle, I think, uh, which happens. You know, when 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 time is approaching, and and I had no idea what it was, and I just thought, oh my god. So I googled it or oh, what a thing to Google, and uh, and read about it and found out what it was. So I I knew it was you know days if not hours away and then uh, you know we were all at home and and she I uh, just someone someone said come in come to the room and and unbelievably actually so we were all there bar one brother and uh we'd rung in my dad had rung in to tell him oh you might want to come home because you know we think it's it's going to happen any minute now and unbelievably you know we are all sat around her uh, in her bed and uh my brother comes through the door um comes upstairs and then about 2 minutes later she 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 passes with all of us around her, which was I don't know if she was waiting for Ollie to get home, <laughs> but um, you know that was nice in a way. Obviously, the worst time of my life, um, all our lives, I would imagine. You know, but as you as you rightly say, that there is a sense of relief. Um, that, you know, no more pain, and, and you know it relieves the pressure on 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 everything. Um, and you know, my, my mom always used to say, uh, cause her mum had, um, uh, Alzheimer's and, and dementia and stuff like that. And that was really difficult. Uh, and, uh, my mum dealt with that a lot. And my mom always used to say to us, God, don't ever let me get like that. Shoot me first. Um, so, you know, that was very much in my mind at the time. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it was, it was so sad and so difficult uh but but you know once once it happened you have that kind of obviously incredibly emotional but then the relief comes and and then it just the rest of it just kind of follows in a bit of a blur and a daze and a you know you know all the stages of grief that come you know because of a lot of the because of we knew what was coming you experience a lot of the grief beforehand if that makes sense yeah. so a lot yeah. of the the tears and a lot of the anger and a lot of the denial all kind of happens beforehand as well as after, it doesn't let up after it. Just it just happens. You're one of the lucky ones, and it just happens beforehand mm-hmm. as well. Um, so so that was a thing I had to sort of understand and get my head around. I didn't realize, you know, what I was experiencing at the time was 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 grief. You know, I just thought, oh god, I'm, you know, grief is what happens when someone passes away, not before, but it's also what happens before it, it, in these kind of situations as well. The the idea of losing someone, and also you know, kind of already had lost her because she wasn't the same person as she was. Yeah. Um, so so that so that was you know, a truly difficult thing to, to try and comprehend when you're 21 years old and mm-hmm. you're you're at uni, but you're also, you know, trying to you know, make a career for yourself at the same time and what is such a difficult industry, all the highs and lows that come with it. And then, you know, super, super difficult. And then, you know, there was a time where I did want to pack it all in and thought, what's the point? And straight after it, you know, actually the, in the day swallowing, I, I was done with it all. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to drop out of uni. What's the point? I don't want to work. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just, I, I don't want to do it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do this um and but then you know you you do snap out of it and get your head in game and go right yeah. what would mum want you know she would not want you to, to do that one bit um so uh, and then i i later realized that actually it was it it is it is still to this day and it was work working professionally it, it, it that was my coping mechanism really however unhealthy that made me everybody has a coping mechanism luckily mine was 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 work and and trying to progress my career so it's not the worst one to have but you know it turned me into a bit of a workaholic but that's how you know that's how i i get through it really because it's a difficult thing to speak about you know with with people who aren't who are your friends and 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 this and it worked for me
1: yeah and and I guess everyone's going to deal with grief in a different way Mm -hmm. and deal with that scenario that you've been through in a different way. But is there, is there any kind of advice or guidance you can impart to people who may be going through something like this or, or just entering into it for the first time? And you've had in a way, you know, fortunate to have a nice big family and a support network which some people just simply don't have but is there anything that you can say to people who might be listening in a similar boat that might help
0: it's really difficult because every, it's it's so different for so many different people you know it, it maybe you know someone else could know, glioblastoma is, is one of the common ones so you know but but each each experience is probably very very different um and and I would say, you know, it doesn't actually matter how big or small your family is, you know, the support network might not be there in a big family, you know, it, yeah. in my case, it, I, I know it's there, we don't really talk or express our feelings that much. And that's, that's on us. And that's the thing, you know, that's just a thing we are. And I think a lot of people are probably like that. Um but I would, and is that still? case? Is it? It's still a sort of relatively unspoken. Term? It's no, it's a bit. It's a bit better. We we of course we talk. We we folk We talk about mum and we we focus on the good times. We, you know, we don't want to. We don't want to talk about you know the bad times because we were all at yeah. the time we were all there living through it and we pulled together. Uh, at that time, there were some some big difficulties along the way, of course, and, and tensions rise out of nothing. You know, I got a speeding ticket yeah. one time, rushing home, and and that caused a bit of tension at some point. But you know, it's. Little things become, uh, you know, big tension points because everybody is holding this mountain of pressure up. Mm-hmm. So that's okay, I think, because that's going to happen. But I would say, you know, say what you want to say, talk, talk if you can. And I, I, I find it very difficult to, but say what you want to say while you can, because you, 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 you might, you might, you might end up regretting it, you know. But at the same time, don't, don't hold yourself. Um, don't be too hard on yourself because uh, no one knows how to deal with this the right way. And there is no right way to deal with these kind of things, you know, there, so don't, don't be too hard on yourself at the same time. And also, you know, try and speak to people. Uh, you know, f- therapy was, was, gr- was great for me. Oh, I need, I probably need to do more of it, but I've done a bit of it and, and that certainly helped, you know, a good, a good cry and you do feel 10 times better afterwards. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's very difficult to give a, a blanket piece of advice, but I would just say, you know, say what you want to say, be there and, um, and don't be too hard on yourself. It, it's probably, it's probably the best things and just try and be in as formed as you can, you know, which is great. Well, what what things like the brain tumor charity are there for in this particular case in providing that kind of, help because i was lucky you know my dad was a a brain surgeon and my mum was a nurse you know we came from a medical family we dealt with this kind of thing before so we kind of knew how hospitals operated and how all that kind of things and we could leave a lot of it to my dad but a lot of people this happens to have absolutely you know no no clue so that's that's why the 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 the, this charity like this and many others are there to to be that support and guidance Hundred percent, and and I think you know what
1: you said there. Say what you can, you know, is not just relevant as you're going through it, but before as well. And I think many of us are guilty of not saying th- things to our, our loved ones. Um, I know I am. You know, I'm terrible at, you know, saying I love you to my parents. You know, giving them a hug or anything. Yeah, i used so to, many people you know, and, and people. it's it's, it's so many people are in the same situation. So I think that's a, you know, really uh, important piece of advice and, and obviously reaching out. And and that's why we're doing this is, is to give people an outlet in some small way, in our own little way, you know, whether that's through the brain tumor charity or reaching out to us directly and speaking to Harry. Um, But um, there needs to be more awareness around this kind of illness. And and that's exactly why we're doing this and and why Harry is um, come on today to, to, to share his story, which is, is very emotional and heartfelt and I'm sure it, it resonates with people, um, who are listening uh, and, and it touches so many people every year yet there just isn't enough research and development in that space. So, um, Harry, before, before we tail off, is, is there anything else that you want to say any other, you know, bits of your story or, or any other, um, any other thoughts that you want to pass on? Um,
0: I don't know. I think, you know, I mean, there's obviously a lot more to the story than that, but you know, because this is such a a, a heavy story, you know, you don't, you don't want, I don't want to shove it up people's throats. And a lot of it is, is quite private as well. You know, like, I like to, yeah. to keep it that way. And and you're entitled to do that. You know, you're entitled to keep as much as, as you want to your, to yourself and within your family. Don't feel like, you know, um, people are, that was actually the thing I felt a lot actually was that I was the guy who, whose mum had a brain tumor. Um, and, I felt that pressure almost that people were looking at me and, and thinking, oh, God, he might cry any minute. Um, felt that a lot. I felt like oh, there were eyes on me. And that probably yeah. wasn't the case at all, probably being completely paranoid. But I just felt that way because everyone at university knew because I, I had to drop out of various things and, and do all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you feel like eyes are on you, you know, they're probably not. But also, if uh, I although I, I didn't feel that perhaps my friends could – be the the number one people to speak to on this matter. I still didn't stop that from from sort still didn't stop that from making me talk about it, you know. And even yeah. and and you'd be surprised at, at at what the most um uh what the the le- well, the people you expect who would be terrible at coping with this you'd be surprised at at what they they would be able to say but you know it's it's a it's a difficult thing nobody really knows how to deal with it and and it's personal to each and every single person um but just you know try and try and try and get through it um you know because that you will there is another side to this life goes on you will never forget but you will learn to live with it yeah, no, very
1: wise words, and and you're so right. I mean, we haven't spoken about no, it no not really. No, we no. We've each other two years, and we've. God, you know, has it been we, that long? We speak every, but is it about that, something like that. But we've spoken <laughs> every single week doing podcasts, and we talk all that. We talk probably daily. Yeah, but, but know, and we
0: about it you know it's, it's perhaps it's that's uh you know an, an error on my part no, um, i i wouldn't say yeah. that because you know it's not the thing that it's not the thing i always want to talk about you know it, it's been two years since since it happened and uh, uh, you know i i will, there there are right settings for it <laughs> you know aren't there uh but yeah you know, it's just not it's just sometimes it, it, it sometimes i don't want to talk about it but also it's not it's a very difficult yeah. thing to bring up you know especially when you're making new yeah. relationships and you know it's actually i found it very difficult when when I've been dating or whatever, when you know, and and the question comes about your
1: family. Well, yeah. when,
0: when the question comes, you know, oh, what do your mum and dad do? that's a big yeah. question I have now I never thought of twice before but then suddenly I'm like oh man how do I say this and not make a big not it's not like I not want to make a big deal of it but not Let's not I don't want them to feel like I'm you know gonna gonna get all emotional or whatever I'll be like yeah, it happened yeah. but this is my life and, and this is how I live it so so yeah that's that's another question you have to get by but you know it, it, yeah. it, it, it there's a time and a place for it obviously and and whoever wh- whenever you want to talk about it there hopefully should be people there that will happily listen to you.
1: Well, there we are. Harry, thanks for sharing your story. Um, I, I really hope this helps other people in some way who might be affected and who are listening. Um, and also goes um some way to getting more people aware of the charity, the brain tumor charity and the really super important work they're doing um thank you to you listening for taking the time out of your day this is obviously different to our usual content a bit different um but we want to get this this particular episode going as uh, far and wide as we possibly can so if you can spare the time to share it send it to a friend stick it on social media um Anything you can do to spread the word will be
0: hugely valuable. Yeah, and I'll just say though this this is uh, a kickstart really because I'll be speaking to a, a, couple of people, a couple of people from the motorsport world. Never fear about you know how how, how we deal with these kind of um, or particularly of course with with brain tumor diagnosis. You know, I'll be chatting to uh, uh, the the man who ha- is head of development for the Williams Formula One team. So we'll be chatting about uh, his sad uh, relationship with with the disease, but also you know his incredible career in developing a formula one car and you know we'll be talking to people like jake humphrey as well so there'll be a couple of these episodes dotted about uh, throughout the next few months uh, with with people from in and around motorsport too Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you've been affected by a brain tumour and don't know where to turn head to the brain Tumour charity.org website where you can find all the information you need. If you can you can also donate direct to the charity from our website motormouth.club or straight from the brain tumour charity website too. If you can't donate but want to help there are so many ways to do so by simply sharing this far and wide. You can also sign up to be a volunteer and help support those affected from wherever you are as well as doing your own fundraising. A cure can't wait. And remember, if you need any more help, the charity is here anytime. You can call them in the UK on 0808 800 0004.